Episode 124 of Gaming NBS, sponsored by Gamehole Con, gaming convention in Madison, Wisconsin, occurring in, Ma- in November. Get your ass to Gamehole Con. Visit GameholeCon.com for more information. Convention in Madison, Wisconsin, occurring in November. Get your ass to Gamehole Con. Oh. Damn it, I always try to pause the live feed so there's a little talk over, but no big deal. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Brett. Welcome to the show. Brett's having a bad day. Yeah, technical difficulties. I got like, I have three computers in my room and two of them are failing and that, it's just not good. Dude, if it's any consolation, you look magnificent right now on video. Oh, of course. Of course you do. do. You do, (laughs) because what's happening is usually your monitor is so bright, it's reflecting off your face. Oh, actually, that's just, I, I'm just so angry right now. I've darkened. Normally my radiant personality is what is just reflecting. <laughs> I can't, I can't say that with a straight face. Well, that's true too. <laughs> yeah. All right. How are you, Sean? I'm smashing, dude. I, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just glad to be here, Brett. Well, that's good. Yeah. Shall we get into this thing and talk about stuff? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let's go in a random encounter. Sure, no announcements. Let's go. Do we have announcements? I don't know. No, I uh, I really don't have anything. I mean, um, I can say, are you going to GaryCon? I know I'm going. I've told people I'm going. Are you going to GaryCon, Sean? I am. We. I am going to be at GaryCon. I don't know in what capacity. I do have to get a badge. I haven't registered for any events. But all the events are probably filled. I'm going to go there and take Happy Salmon. We're going to play. Okay. We're going to play our asses some Happy Salmon. You remember all that? Right. Do you remember I have no that? Idea what... Did I tell you last time? Did I bring this up? No. I could have. You did sw- not. All I saw was a picture. I saw a picture of Happy Salmon from uh, from Tim out there, and I'm like, "The hell is that?" I'm kind of interested. I don't know what happened. I Salmon could have is. swore I mentioned it on the air last week. Uh, if you did, I forgot. So it's Happy Salmon is a card game. Motu Sano, thank you so much. He pointed it out. So if you were sitting in the lobby of the Clarion at Gamehole Con last year. Brett, did you see those like six dudes around the table? That was the guys that are all jumping and, and Dave Beatty goes, what the hell is going yes. on? Those, those yeah. guys? Yes. Remember that? Okay. I got the yes. game. I got that game. <laughs> so now we got to get, if if Dave Beatty, which yeah. I believe he is, is going to be at Gary Khan. We have to get Dave to play Happy Salmon then. That's what we have to do. So the deal is if you're not familiar with Happy Salmon, it's a card game. It comes in a little salmon, like a little stuffed salmon, little cards, three to six players. There's four things you do. There's there's a card that says high five. There's fist bump. There is okay. there is um, a switcheroo. And then this, this, this this totally explains the yelling, high fiving, fist bumping, and switcherooing that was done to our to our immediate. And there's happy and there's time. happy salmon. And so what you do okay. is each one gets a little deck of cards, and you you look at them. And the purpose is is you're supposed to get somebody else that matches your other card. And if you do, you do the action and then you drop the card. And the first person that gets rid of all their cards wins. So it's a weird social connection. Well, okay. It's like an Uno thing. Almost. Hey, 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 okay. hey, high five, high five, high five, high five, high five, fist bump, fist bump, fist bump, switch switch Nice. Oh, happy wow, salmon, okay. happy salmon. So happy salmon is when you, you go to the other person's arm and then you, it's kind of like a handshake, but you extend it into their forearm and then you, you tap it three times. One, two, three. That's a happy salmon. That's just weird. And then you right, drop in, the card. Yeah, man. Happy salmon. Switch roof. Fist bump, fist bump, fist bump. 
Yeah, that's pretty much what it sounded like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, man. So that's the announcement. I'll be there at Gary Con playing Happy Salmon all day. Oh, the other piece I should say is uh, Mr. Hobbs, Hobbs uh, slipped me a little insider information via the interwebs about uh, something he's got cooking. So Get uh, out of here. Yeah, looks like he's got a little something happening pretty little, soon. Little so. something, something. Little something, something. So that uh, I got a, I got a sneak listen, and it sounded pretty, uh, pretty interesting to me. So hopefully it will uh, land soon. And and then what happens? You go ah, that's the thing Brett was talking about. That's the thing. So what's he doing? Like is he? Is I'm, he not, I'm not telling you. I'm is not. Is he I'm like the opening band or something? I'm telling you. Not telling you. Stop secret. Well, we all know Hobbs. Hobbs gets down there and, and cuts a rug because. Uh, I've heard. I've well. I've. I mean, there are signs that are posted. I'm kidding. <laughs> Hobbs Hobbs is out there discoing with some some cougars last year or the year before. Oh yeah, I heard about that. That was a Gary Con thing. He's got some moves, man. But anyway, for those of you who are going to Gary Con, we totally went off the fucking rails on this. But uh, Sean <laughs> and I will be there. It'll be great to see folks. Um, and uh, maybe get some gaming in, drink a few beers, talk about stuff, and just uh, generally hang out. Should be a fun time. Yes. Let's move on before we go further down into whatever ditch we're headed. Random encounter. You know the deal. We're going to talk about people. People are going to talk about us. They've written us. They've commented. Now we're going to read their stuff. You go first. All right. Fair enough. Oh, boy. Do you all even? (laughs) It's a pure mongrel, so it's uh, one of our patrons. Patron pure mongrel. mongrel. Since he's a patron and has asked me not to use one of my awesome accents, I'm saving that for a patron level. Ah, there we go. Which we're climbing. I think we got another one, so it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before the... Okay, go on. How do you guys deal with GM burnout? I love being a GM. I love role-playing games. But I'm becoming tired of always being the guy that has to provide all the prep, adventures, etc. All right, man. I got you, mongrel. Just hold on, man. It's all good. None of my players want to step up to the plate as a GM, or they say they will, but then do nothing. That sounds like people I work with in my day job. (laughs) I'll totally do that for you. Oh, look, you didn't do a goddamn thing. That's good. That's good to hear. Carry on. I realize. uh, I realize I probably sound like a whiner right now. Uh, Hopefully, (laughs) hopefully I conveyed that properly. (laughs) Nice. But I have not been a player in over 20 years. What? I like my players and not everyone can GM, but I don't have the option to play in another group where I live. So I am the GM. Any advice on how to, how to revitalize and make GMing more fun? Well, one of the things that I threw out to uh, Mr. Mongrel was James Pace, one of the listeners of the show, longtime listener, has been working on a game and he periodically posts up that he's looking for players cause he's uh, play testing and so on and so forth. Um, and he had hit something up and then mongrel said this. So I hooked those two up together via the OG plus community. And even with mongrel being in, uh, down under, I'm pretty sure that James will be able to help him out, at least get some gaming in. So 
and a few other people on the G plus stream commented about that. I mean, online gaming is kind of like where it's at really. I know the time zone change can be a challenge, but I, I know a number of people who keep odd hours, right? They, they've got uh, night jobs. They, they work different weekends or if it can be a weekend day or weekend evening or early morning or something, if the game is good, you know, well, you know, gamers will get up and game at the crack it on. If it's a good game. I gotta, I gotta ask the mongrel though. Why, why doesn't any of his players want to GM? Maybe they just, they're afraid. Maybe you guys are a tough, tough group to GM for. Like maybe, maybe one of them knows they give you grief and they don't want to be at the other end of that grief, even though it's, even if it's, you know, make it well fun. Deserved. Yeah. Make it well, well deserved, make it fun, joking around. Like, you know, Brett's games, I bust his nuts. all oh, every chance I get. Yes, he does. And it's okay. So Cthulhu <laughs> would be like, dude, I don't want a GM, right? Cause he'll probably think that I'm going to bust his nuts. <laughs> well, the other, the other piece too, is, and I don't know. I mean, Mongrel's talked about this in um, other messages and such, but it's conceivable. Another thing to do would be to um, do the old uh, indie gamer thing, if, for lack of a better phrase, and uh, get them to do some GMing for you, right? I mean, you start handing out work. You start getting them to do stuff. You know, what's in the room? What's over here? Getting them to do some of that prep work for you. During games, we've talked about this before. Um, and once they kind of get the hang of it and like it, it's that baby step, if you will, into being Game Master. Or taking a game, excuse me, that may be game master less or one that doesn't have quite such a heavy game master prep um, requirement. I know he plays a lot of savage worlds from what I remember about the, about our mongrel, yeah, yep. um, but there may be like dungeon world is really low prep in my opinion um, from what I've read. And a couple times I've played, uh, it might be worth looking at a game that requires less prep or one that you can do very quickly on the fly or one that, not only requires less prep, but also allows you to source the table more often and drag those players into uh, into that kind of a quasi GM like role. Now That's something I started doing. It made my game mastery more fun. Yeah. The other thing is, um, he mentions like he finding another group isn't an option, but because there may not be anybody in his area. But man, don't be restricted. I mean, there's roll twenty, man. There's free games out there. Like people post the game looking for players all the time. And you just join one. Like, granted, you're kind of hit and miss depending on the style of game. But we'll tell you what, though, you never just know. from doing this pod, just from doing this podcast, running into guys like Eric Farmer and um, Wayne Humphrey. And no, Grant Wayne was in Michigan and now he's in Wisconsin. But tons of folks, I'm like, oh my god, you live in Madison? Oh, you're not that far outside of Madison? Oh, you know Sean too? Oh, you're local? Oh my god, it is kind of interesting. This when you hit people up. Um, online, you start looking for roll 20 games and you similar in my opinion to the whole podcasting thing. Next thing you know, um, yeah, there's, you, you might find out somebody two, three streets over one town over, um, is a gamer. You didn't even know the person existed and there they are, they're ready to play. And you could, uh, conceivably run across a couple groups like that. I mean, that's how I found out that, um, that Jim who uh, plays with Sean and I, I work with Jim. I had no idea he was a gamer. And Sean goes, yeah, Jim plays. I'm like, well, fucking hey. So now he's a resource I can draw from. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, just, I, I guess, um, don't be afraid. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Don't be afraid to reach out online. Start bugging people, talking to people. Even if you, Mongrel, have to run a couple games online, you may find people are like, wow, that was fun. I think I could do something like that. I'd like to try to run too. You may find people more willing to give it a go online. 
right? That your your local group may not, but hey, what the hell? Run one on D, on roll twenty or something like that, and then see what comes of it. You might might give you some more options. But I seriously, I started using some of the old indie tricks of uh, sourcing the table and things along those lines, and that has increased my enjoyment as a game master and helped me stave off some of the burnout. So that's that's always a good good tip in my opinion. GM burnout though is a it's a topic, Brett. We could do it again, you mean? Did we do it all? Did we do I'm all? I'm pretty sure. I'm sure we did a little bit, but I'll tell you what, though. It's one of those, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's one of those topics. A lot of the topics that we've covered, there's no reason that we can't go back and revisit and refresh our opinions thereby. So, so the good I th- shall, um, I shall put it on the list. So the good thing is, uh, I may forget, which allows us to have just as like double the amount of content. It's like watching a movie with my wife. Unless Susan has seen it about five times, she doesn't always remember it. So the second time, it's like it's brand new to her. Right. But the bad thing is the listeners are going to be like, dude, you, Sean, you just you guys talked about this like three times in the last two months. You totally contradicted yourself internally and externally. How'd you do that? Anyway, next up, we have Jim Fitzpatrick commenting on Google+. Plus. He says, I feel like I've been throwing a lot of stuff at the wall of the BS sphere lately, but one more for the crowd. You know how there's National Novel Writing Month. World National Module Writing Month work would work. Yeah, start over. You know, there's National Novel Writing Month. Would National Module Writing Month work? 5e is SRD'd now. Lots of other systems have fan content policies. Who should make a kick ass website, collect them once a year or uh, at the end of the year, maybe polish them up, post them for everyone to enjoy? Now, Jim threw it out as a kind of a neat idea. A number of people went, boy, that could be a lot of work. And Jim's like, I know it would be a lot of work. I don't know if I've got the time or capacity to do it myself. It was just kind of a brainstorm, you know, kind of idea. A lot of people thought it was pretty cool. And actually that got me thinking of, I have a little something, something here that Corey Wynn had gifted to Sean and I a while back. And I'm thinking about doing uh, some sort of an adventure, right. Um, for gaming and BS as a, uh, as a challenge. And then giving this little, uh, little item, a little OSRE type item away. So, um, Thank you, Jim. I appreciate I appreciate you even coming up with the idea and thinking about it. Got a lot of good uh, responses on Google Plus, and uh, gave me the idea to uh, get a little contest going on our side. I think that could be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Over to you, sir. Crim fan, a frequent commenter on our blog, comments on one eighteen urban adventuring part two. Once again, great episode. His words, not ours. Uh, just. Disclaimer. It's it's good to say that because I mean, yeah, all right. <laughs> it's a text. You can no. a, you can absolutely run D and D with just one player, though. Often, what you need to do is have some supporting cast around for combat. Typically, a pet or henchman or two does the trick to beef up the PC appropriately. The player can run them in combat. Works a lot better with two players, so they can riff on each other and take a bit of load off the DM. Works better for medium to high level play, not the lowest levels where characters are very fragile and the DM needs to set up scenarios appropriately. One way to have this work is to have each player have an ensemble cast of player characters. Having each player have a main PC and then a secondary PC, say a henchman who's lower level but tough enough to be credible in with the higher level characters. I played in a three-person game that had this structure for several years and ran a campaign with the same players. It worked really well for our group. 
Apropos the main topic, it really suits urban adventures where you can have mix and match parties in a very plausible way. But it's not necessary to be in a city. You can have a ship with a crew, away team, anyone. Uh, the main reason is to have some interesting sporting cast that the players can take over as needed. The different secondary characters would sometimes have shorter tales that were maybe not would that were maybe not suitable for a long time PC, but were really fun and memorable nonetheless. For example, in a Greyhawk game, I had a henchman, a halfling fighter, Bucky, who was rebelling against conformist halfling culture, but really changed when one of the other henchmen was instant killed by a powerful demon. After that fight, he cashed out his magic items and got married before it happened to him. Ah, Wise adventurer. Uh, Later on, an adventure started where some other PCs met at his wedding. Bucky probably wouldn't have been a main PC that would sustain interest over the course of a whole campaign, but I remember him fondly all these years later, and his perhaps not literal descendants have showed up in later games. Very cool. I think I've mentioned this before around this type of topic, but we have, um, I've, I've played Ars Magica, and one of the things that Ars Magica has, at least the, I don't believe this has changed in any later versions, was everyone's basically a mage. You're a wizard in medieval Europe, and you make grogs. You make, essentially, henchmen and warriors and that type of thing, so that way when your wizard is out doing wizard stuff for a month or two days or a week or has to do some uh, research, whatever, you have a character to play. And you can, that's built into that system. That that approach that Krimfan is talking about here is built directly into that. However, it's a good, uh, it's a good tool and there's no reason not to do that. I mean, that's one of the cool parts about even something as simple as a game like DCC, right? You go through your funnel in a Dungeon Crawl Classics game and usually what happens is you've got one, maybe two characters left in your stable of four or five that you went in with and Sean and Brett pick our favorite one and that's our character. Well, if you do have two or three or maybe 20 of you, um, <laughs> these zero-level plebes wandered into the grinder, and lo and behold, a whole quarter of them survived. Great. That's actually too many characters, if you will, for all the players. Taking those other ones, putting them aside, having them be henchmen back at the hold or um, in town or something kind of um, that the players can draw from if and when needed. So that could be pretty cool. I think there's a lot of... Um, it, when I was a kid, the whole henchman hirelings thing we never got into playing D anD D, and I know a lot of other people didn't as well. And I know other people like, oh no, we conquered entire dungeons by just getting rafts and rafts of hirelings and henchmen to help us do stuff. It was nothing we ever did. But the other thing I look back now, and I'm like, you know what? That's actually pretty handy. Get some henchmen, um, build a relationship with them, and then you've got some ready made player characters if and when you need them. So that can be a lot of fun. I think it's a good idea. Thanks everybody for writing in. Absolutely. Our listeners, I mean, seriously, you men and women that write into us, you guys have some awesome ideas and some really great insights. It's I've said it before, but it's just, it's really, really cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, and it's very much well worth sharing. And Sean, I have to say, I have noticed the uh, large green TV behind you with different gaming images behind it. So that's kind of cool. I noticed it's looking nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, there was a big, huge ass glare on some of those. I couldn't, I was like, Eesh. yeah, not bad though. Looking good. Of course, for those of us who are not watching YouTube or seeing this right. this video, I like what the fuck is Brett talking about. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get... go on the main topic before yeah. I totally make a make it a discussion. All right, move on.
Well, we talk, well, we're talking politics. Well, politics and laws in your games. Oh, we're, I, I thought we were not talking about no, po- no, like real no, world politics. No, hey, no, let's bust no. that open, wide open, Brett. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's just like that's... take that freaking scab and just rip that bitch right off, right off, man. No, that no. blood, blood everywhere, dude. <laughs> huh? That's a that's a good way to get me real riled up and pissed off and, and make a lot of people not like me. <laughs> I anyway, I don't understand what the, the problem is. <laughs> oh, 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 so frustrated right now. Craziness anyway. out there, man. Craziness. Yes. However, Sean made me talk about the weather, and that turned out to be pretty fucking cool, I thought. I'm like, you know, and he joked last episode, we should talk about politics. I'm like, yeah, whatever. And then I thought about it, and um, um, I saw uh, a couple other people mentioned on just on different things online that I follow, like politics and intrigue and all that stuff. And I thought, you know, that goes hand in hand. I've been thinking about my Avalon game, my Streets of Avalon that I'm running with um, Chris, Kevin, Emily, and Tom. Um, and politics and the laws play a pretty big part in kind of how that game is structured. <clears throat> so I thought, you know what? Let's talk about that. Let's, let's see what it is. So kind of Sean, what I'm looking at here is, you know, do you use political layouts, laws, and so forth as a driving force of your games as the influencer for player characters and storylines or NPCs, or is it not even focused or just kind of sort of kind of there and what ups and downs may or may not be. Make sense. It does, and I would have to say that I definitely need some more help in that in that space. Laws, yeah, I mean, you know, oh, you got restricted items. Oh, here comes uh, Johnny or Jane law person comes along, wants to, you know, ruffle the feathers of the player characters. Yeah, you can't be wearing armor like that in town. We're peaceful folk. That's right. Or, you know, they go into a place, they, they're not supposed to be brandishing weapons. Yeah, I get boarded. They got boarded. They got to have permits. Yep. Walk into a bar. You got to dump your guns in the in the bin or something. You're That's not right. just allowed to roam around with laser pistols in every tavern. Come on now. So I think the cool part, just from a very high level, politics and the and the laws of the local area, wherever it is the player characters are interacting. The cool part for them is it does kind of set the stage for some. Tensions, story arcs, and just ready-made conflicts whenever you need them. Um, Or even if you want to have a reason why the player characters have to do a thing or supposed to do a thing or someone's engaging with them, this kind of setup really helps. If you want to do a game about intrigue and uh, the machinations of the ruling class, nobles versus commoners type of thing, or uh, wars, um, (laughs) every, every war has a political reason, even if the political reason is um, it's based on religion, but the, um, the the nobles or the ruling class want in on it, or there's um, somebody, you know, a terrorism thing, and well, we we have to do something because that's just you know the way the political climate is. All of that type of stuff sets a really good backdrop for the player characters to interact with, and the laws around them, as, as Sean alluded to, you can have things you know in your typical fantasy setting. Weapons must be peace knotted in town. You should you be wearing plate mail armor, full, <clears throat> full dress, you know, crusader armor walking through town. Is that allowed? Is that grounds for questioning? And all of those pieces, I mean, even if, you know, what do I say? If you've anybody's ever seen the old Clint Eastwood movie, Unforgiven. And when he come, when the guys are coming into town, there's a sign out there that says basically no guns. You have to turn them into the sheriff. And a couple of people show up with their guns, fail to turn them into sheriff. And, uh, 
sheriff shows up and kicks the ever living shit out of everybody who didn't follow the rules because God damn it. Here's how that goes. Um, great, <laughs> great, in, uh, great conflict component. Now I'll tell you though, Sean, when you have laws like this, I think, and tell me if I'm wrong. I think one of the reasons why you and Pratt, and I know I used to have troubles using them is that laws are a lot like, um, other things in the game is that if there's too many of them are too complex or you don't keep them top of mind, they're difficult to in introduce. Right. Yeah. And so if you could say, yes, you should have, there's a series of laws for this is what happens if you um, are caught thieving. This is what happens if you're carrying an unsheathed sword. This is what happens if you're carrying plate mail or chain mail uh, openly and so on. If you do that, if you set that up, you have to be prepared as a game master or players to deal with the consequences and have it happen regularly. And I think a lot of times in the midst of the other things that are happening at the table, those pieces get lost or can be forgotten about. And it's difficult to just roll it in and then yell at the players who've been wandering around Avalon for, you know, six sessions and say, Hey, you're wearing chain mail. You're not supposed to be doing that. Like you fucking kidding me. I passed, you know, 16 different guardsmen and other people and no one said a damn thing. How, how, how is that possible? If you so you have to have answers when you haven't used it regularly or, or and that type of thing. What do you think, Sean? Am I making any sense there? Am yeah, I, I think many adventures, if you're talking about classic, um traditional, classic, whatever, uh, role-playing games, fantasy based, I think a lot of the politics gets lost. The politics and law tends to get lost unless you are running a specific game centered around that. Uh, you can incorporate it, but I think most of the times people are like, we're going to send you out, do something, and then it's out into the frontier. There's nobody around. You go into a dungeon, maybe, maybe, not always, but. Which is kind of the interesting thing. I mean, you watch certain movies about people who come back from wars and so forth. And when you're out in an area with a different set of rules and regulations, even just the uh, the social changes from politics. So I guess the other piece here is that the politics and the laws of an area, whether it's in a spaceport, different planet, different culture, different world, whatever, what have you, it helps to define what that area sees as good or evil or allowed and not allowed, frowned upon, whatever you want to say. You know, it, it's a very it's a way for you as a game master to specifically um, point out to the player characters that, hey, this is, it, it's flavor, if you will. It's a very pointed way to say, hey, this is the setting, and you can help make it more real, is that the first time they come into town and they have their guns on, the sheriff goes, look, I know we haven't seen you cowpokes here before, but you got to turn your guns in. There's a sign outside. I know some folks can't read. I'm just telling you right now, let's go down. I got to take your guns, put your name down. You can get them when you leave town, but I got to hang on to them. Okay. Yeah, yeah granted, <laughs> play with like my old high school group. This guy turned into a fucking gunfight. Dude, but, players are going to shoot, man. Right, roll for initiative, dude. I'd freaking shoot his ass. Yeah, and then you've got to decide, well, what are you going to do when that happens? But regardless, <laughs> taking asshole players aside, um, dude, I think I, the... I don't know, man. It's just... I, I could predict well, the future. Well, the other piece of that, though, I mean, I guess your example does hold water, right? So if you do have something that that that's that strict, be prepared for the freaking consequence. You know your group. Yeah, if you you're playing with a group. Bring of men all and women the muscle. Are, bring all the muscle. Yeah, yeah. If you're playing with a group of men and women who always shoot first and ask questions later, and you say, "Well, you know, what I'm going to fix their little red wagon. I'm going to make them hand their laser guns in before they get into this tavern." Yeah, 
all right, you're going to have a big laser gun battle outside the tavern. That's what you're going to get because that's what the players always do. Um, <laughs> so again, though, kind of as I alluded to at the beginning, you have to have, there have to be ramifications for those things. You break the law, something must occur. We talked about this a little bit before. I think though that the other piece with that is then, okay, there's just the regular interactions with the law. Okay, I can't have my guns in town. You know, surrender your laser pistols here. Peace, not your swords. But the reason that's there is not always just for public safety, right? The reason it's there, there's a political reason. Whether the political reason is public safety, great, good for good for those politicians to, to do such a thing. Or if the reason is, I'm doing this because I, I the noble class, want to keep the commoners unarmed. Ooh. Because that's safer for me. Stratification. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Oh. Or if it's, hey, look, we own this space station and we're neutral territory between the uh, the syndicates, the alliance, and the whomever else. We don't want any fighting here. So everyone has to follow these strict rules because we're trying to maintain from a political perspective our neutrality. Because our neutrality is what allows all the merchants and people who live here to make the most amount of money. So everything is geared towards that. So <clears throat> instead of it just being as simple as, well, this is you know public safety and murder is bad, so on and so forth. What's the political reason? Why is what? Why is it there? And if you want to add the layers of intrigue and such, okay, what reasons would someone have to be subversive to that political movement? If you have alignments, that's pretty simple. You got chaotic evil versus lawful good. You've got the subversion and the reasoning behind that. But in a different type, say a superheroes game, you know, you go out and you do certain things. You break the law. You you know, Wolverine up and stab a dude in the head. You could get in big ass trouble for that. Or is there a political movement of people that are trying to make supers not beholden to the same laws as everybody else? The players may be like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I'm a superhero. I should not have to follow the regular rules because I'm a superhero. What does that do in a political society? Then you have a group of people that are pissed off and start making sentinels to go kill the fucking mutants because they're really sick and tired of all these superheroes having rules and regulations and freedoms that they don't have. They feel that they're being pushed down. Make sense? Follow what I'm saying? Yeah, it sounds vaguely like a movie of some kind. It could, <laughs> or a series of comic books or something like that. Yeah, huh. <laughs> or if they've broached that subject. They, huh. they may have. There huh. may have been a Batman series that or various other things, Dark Knight, something like that. Right. But when you- I think Harry nation, Potter, Harry Potter probably. Harry Potter, mostly Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. And saying, have you ever done uh, Nations at War, like actively at war in a campaign? Actively, no, not actively. But Eberron is very, uh, very intriguey, very politicky, uh, because there's a there was a war, and the five nations, um, had had been in, in war for a long time, and then now when the campaign starts, if you go by the typical campaign setting, I uh, the campaign starts like two years literally after the war ends. Um, so they're at peace, perhaps a tenuous peace. Is that the idea? Right. Yeah. Like Christian mentioned, who's a big Eberron fan, Christian Serrano mentioned that, you know, the Cold War kind of peace. And then there's a lot of, Im like a little, a lot of immigrants, right? Because there was a country that was basically wiped off the face of the earth, earth, <laughs> Eberron, um, Corvair, which uh, then that, because it's not, it's, it's called Sire, becomes the Mornland. And all of the individuals that kind of live there, I mean, bad stuff happened, crazy stuff. Nobody knows what. And because they leave it up to the DM to kind of 
may keep that a mystery and and it's never divulged the uh the iron kingdom setting the original one back uh, when it was for uh d230 and 35 that had a, a fair amount of that as well um <clears throat> excuse me the other uh, and the the warhammer world has plenty of different politics and so forth in it even if you just take the warhammer fantasy battles components why these why these races and nations hate each other and so we, we've talked espionage before, right? You've talked about uh, Chad Parrish running that Cold War game. Yeah. Espionage game. Yep. The entire political setting for Cold War forces a certain type of behavior of everybody. Right. I remember being in high school and one of my teachers uh, talk, taught a uh, Russian history uh, course. And he and a bunch of other people in like the late 80s or excuse me, early 80s went to Moscow and Soviet Russia and, and toured around. And it was a very bizarre experience for him and how he was treated or in differently in different groups, depending where he was. And from then when uh, Soviet Russian folks would come over to study America, that then he would get tapped to help them around, you know, the Wisconsin area if they would end up in there because, you know, he spoke fluent Russian and so forth. And because of his connection to universities and they would talk about how odd it was, you know, where, you know, back in the day when if you were an American in Russia, you know, were you thought of as a spy? I don't know. You know, if you see a Russian here and you're, oh, you're a commie. And then people would kind of, they had a certain perspective and an expectation. The movies, everything, all the media at the time, this this group was our foe. So <clears throat> if you take the concept of a Cold War or if you're actively at war, that makes it even worse. And all those political pieces, right? So if you're actively at war with the Wood Elves, and your character is a wood elf from a different nation and strolls in a town that could have a lot of things that you might have to account for. You have press gangs. You got people like, look, Hey, you look like you're over 18. Get over here. You're able-bodied. Next thing you know, you're in the army. You know, there's, there's lots of things that can happen depending where you're at in the political climate. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And just, again, as I say, laws are one thing, but if you want to get to the intrigue and the rest of it, you take it up a notch as to, why are the powers that be implementing these rules? Policy, man. Policy. Yeah, yes. Pol yeah. Like HR. Exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Why are they doing this to me? Well, because if they do that, then everyone will just quit on their own. They don't have to do anything else. I mean, that's just how that works. Keep the man. Um, keep the man down. Exactly. Crush, to keep crush, it down. Crush, crush. Yeah. So, so Sean, you're saying that you don't do it well or you need help with it. I mean, is what we're saying here, does this? Make your brain whoa. tick a little bit, or what do you whoa, think? Whoa, whoa, I don't know if I need any help, Brett. You specifically said you needed help. Well, okay, I could that. maybe a little bit. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta incorporate it a little bit more. That's that's uh, good stuff. Like not campaigns, no combat, all intrigue, crossing, cool double crossing. You know, yeah. politicking. You know, positioning, wilderness of mirrors, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. From a downside perspective, the one I used to have this periodically in my vampire games. Vampire was is just chock full. The world of darkness setting, especially vampire, is very political. You had princes and sheriffs and seneschals and harpies and all these different groups of people that were in charge of kind of keeping the society going, not only from how laws were implemented and such, but just the political machinations, very Machiavellian type of setup. But if it's overly complex, this goes into kind of what we were talking about at the beginning with complex laws are things you don't want to deal with or are hard perhaps to implement in, in gameplay or whatever. If it's really complex, 
and the characters and the players are like, look, I wanted a simple dungeon crawl. You know, the, the fact that the king sent us here because the orc army is invading is good enough for me. You know, perhaps straightforward politics is better than hardcore machinations. You can still have tastes of it and that, you know, the alliance has, you know, chartered your vessel to go to this planet to see why the, you know, the uh, lithium miners are rebelling or I don't know what the fuck I'm making shit up. But, you know, what's going on, why this union is having trouble here or what's wrong with the with the dralocytes or whatever the case is that can be very simple. Like, hey, this group of politicians wants to see what this group of politicians is up to. Go figure it out. And it's very straightforward. Sort it out. Come back, report, get your credits and move on. It doesn't have to be complicated, um, but if the players seem to really grok that stuff and they like it and they want to go deeper and figure out what's going on with the Dralicide Envoy, well, maybe you've got yourself a little intrigue on your hands and the players are pushing that direction. You still have plenty of gunfights, just can amp up the social stuff. Yeah, man, send a couple Jedi over there, meet the trade... uh the trade, uh, whatever the hell they're, yeah, trade federation right outside Naboo and wonder what's, why they like got the start the, the Star Wars guy between us goes, ah, the trade, whatever the hell they're called. Right. Yeah. Star Wars guy, I don't know what it's called. Trade federation, Brett knows, God damn it. Brett knows it's a trade federation. That's funny. Dude, I think we should just take an episode and just butcher the shit out of everything just to annoy everybody. <laughs> just go absolutely bonkers. You know, like Gandalf said in the X-Men movie, the right. first thing you do, Harry, is that you uh, <laughs> mix every every trophy metaphor. Um, the other thing I've found from a downside perspective, and this kind of goes, it's touches a little bit on NPCs, but if the players like the political games and so forth, but they feel that they can never get ahead, or they're always pawns in a greater thing. Some people, I've got players of mine that don't mind, mind, excuse me, they do not mind Everything being anticlimactic. They think that's fine. Everything's, oh my God, we were used again. Oh, once again, we were nothing but pawns in the larger scheme. Not everybody digs that. Not every player is fine having the, oh, really? You used this again, Brett. Oh, that's great. Yes, one more time. Sure, I'm sure it's another NPC. Mr. Johnson in Shadowrun, once again, is going to do this thing for some shattery corporation. Blah, blah, blah. Some, I mean, that's a little bit different than saying, a political reason. Your entire adventure, everything was set up. The king sent you to do a thing. You do this thing and come to find out that you actually slaughtered an entire peaceful race of kobolds and you just committed genocide because of some weird political goal somebody had. Not everybody's into that. That could be kind of a dark turn that you could put into a political type of game or setting that might not necessarily be welcome, depending on the group. Dude, it's always the, the best shit is double crossing. You know, send an envoy, right, somewhere in the name of whatever government you are are dealing with. Whether it, even if it's not a government, maybe it's just a, a group, right? Maybe it's a clerical yeah. group, right? An envoy. You got to go Absolutely. check it out. You're like a neutral party, man. You're going to mm-hmm. go, you're tasked with go checking it out. And then you go check it out, and then that party's dead. And then you're left holding the bag, and then you are tied to the original monarchy. Or whatever, monarchy, yes. oligarchy, whatever the damn government is, and then uh, what 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 happens then? Like what unfolds? Yeah. Holy shit! Yeah, and suddenly, suddenly you're on a side. I didn't want to be on a side. Too bad, motherfucker. You're on a yeah, side now. You better oh, pick man. a side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then who set you up? However, see that's the exactly. thing. Like However, everybody's I, trying to dick. Or, like you got to in a in a political ga- game, you always got to have as a GM a method of dicking around with everything behind the scenes. No, absolutely. I think that's the whole, I mean, even Knights Black Asian with a, with a conspiramid, 
and that type of thing. Who's doing what? Why are they doing it? Right. Oh, this vampire has connections over to the Russian mob and connections to the this group of Cubans. Oh, and he also knows this group of mafioso. Oh, and he also is tied into this um, Florida gangbanger group. Okay. Well, that means push, 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 push. I mean, just working your way through that type of uh, setting, even if it's not, you know, the vampire at the top, even it's the Lich King at the top, or it's the the family who has been the shadow government behind the emperor for the last 50 years, just sorting that out, writing the wrong or whatever the case is. Game of Thrones, man. Game of Thrones, dude. Let's no, that's a good, yeah, no. That's, I mean, holy is, cow. Yeah. How, you know, it's plotting and double crossing and knowing everything. And, and then, you know, who's after who and how and who's going to freaking kill off. I mean, mass hysteria, man. <laughs> the, but we we talked about this a little bit, right? With the even with a political game, with a with a focus on it, you have the intrigue. You got the spying. Who's doing what? You got plenty of double, and triple, and quadruple crosses, and double quadruple blind moves, and wilderness of mirrors, and all that shit. There's plenty of assassination attempts. There's plenty of opportunities to use all those divination spells that the players have been hanging on to but haven't used. Um, all that you know, checking for poison. Um, oh my God, uh, we got in this, we got in a fight in the alley with this group, you know, it's thugs. The other thing I have found honestly, with a lot of the political, heavy political intrigue games, be a fantasy sci-fi in my sci-fi game right now has, has some, my traveler game has some pretty decent political intrigue. There's a level of, um, what do I want to say? Non-combat readiness. Hmm, I don't know how else to describe it. So let me put it this way. You don't often walk around wearing your heavy, kick-ass, full-plate armor ready to kill a dragon in a political game. You're attending a dinner. You're attending this gala event. You're at this thing. Uh, we had that, Sean, in your Star Wars game, right? At the tail end of it. We couldn't just walk into this. Um, it was it was hard for us to come into the auction with guns because it's not you're not supposed to have guns at the auction, right? We had to try to sneak and do different things, but there's no armor in there. There's no this. There's no that. Things get dangerous, and, and people feel vulnerable physically vulnerable when you're used to being in a fantasy setting, having your, your plate mail and your plus five Holy Avenger with you. And you suddenly can't have that stuff at the mayoral gala or your sci-fi game. You're at an auction um, to meet and greet and hang out and you can't have your, you know, whatever blaster rifle on you that you're dead. eyed shot for you know, like 600 meters. You can't have that with you right now. Yeah. But the problem is, is that game masters want to put players in those situations so they can dick them over. So if you're a game master and you do that, don't dick them over because you have the opportunity to do it. Like if it's a genuinely... Wait, when you say dick them over, you're saying you're just trying to kill them or hurt yeah, them? Yeah, hurt them. Well, hurt them maybe, but dick... I mean, really kind of... If you could see it a mile away from a as a player character, you're like, oh, great, I have to give up my weapons. Gee, I wonder what's going to happen. And then... Oh, there's going to be a goddamn gunfight. Right. And I won't have a gun. Right, right. So, you know, maybe just mm, thinking out loud here, you don't do that. Maybe it's genuinely a gala. Social encounter. It's a social encounter and you don't need, maybe it's fisticuffs and they have their own security. And it's not always every damn situation in a role-playing game doesn't have to be this usurp the player characters find them with their pants down and then bring the big hammer down. It just facilitates some of that insecurity and facilitates that, ah, oh, shit, here we go. Going to get totally screwed. I'm not going to have any weapon. 
I'm going to get totally lay wasted. Oh. No, I get it. Yeah. Which is why I say like the downside is that if you push it, if it's overly complex from a political section, or if every time the PCs turn around, they're stripped of all their gear and then put in a life and death situation that gets old. Right. You know, it, how about they go, I'm thinking to the old um, Firefly TV series. At one point, Mal goes to this event, this guy, this up, upper crust dude pisses him off and Mal's like, fine, I'll duel you punch. What's well, a sword fight? Mal doesn't know how to use a sword. Right. Oh my God. It's like swords at dawn the next day. Right. So that type, you, you can take a social encounter and turn it into a combat encounter. That's a scheduled combat encounter. You have duels, you know, 10 paces, turn and fire with your lasers or whatever it is. So <clears throat> I get what you're saying. And I, and I absolutely agree with you, Sean. If you take, if every time you, Make it so that it's a, if you use a social encounter as the facade to strip the players and then beat the living shit out of their characters, that's not good. Once or twice, perhaps, but especially if you're going to go heavy political or an intrigue and spy and Cold War looking around, you you don't do that. It's more social encounters, finding out data, looking for things, um, and then perhaps setting up a fight that is to come, right? You leave that gala event at the uh, at the auction you walk outside and that's when the thugs approach you after you've got your gear or on your way to get your gear or whatever the case is you know so there's there's opportunities to have people have a good throwdown but they don't always have to be right there when they're feeling the most vulnerable have i done it i get you yes is it fun as hell hell yes, yes. but at the same time uh you know, and they don't want, you know, the opposing forces, whatever that looks like, they don't want the publicity from from whatever they're going to do to you, potentially. They got to make it kind of on the down low because then it's bad publicity and the government or whatever forces are doing that, they don't want that stuff to become public because then it just creates all kinds of problems. Well, that's a really good point that I didn't mention either was what you just said. That's That's an excellent point, honestly, because if you do it, with these men and women are in political power for a reason. Yeah. They're subtle. They know how to use the system. They know when and where to do the things that need doing. <clears throat> they, those who rule with a, you know, a really bad temper and a, you know, a hair trigger and are always murdering people. They usually don't last all that long. That's a horrible dictator that eventually gets overthrown, which is a good thing for you to be involved in, right? The horrible dictator go overthrow him because you're joining part of the resistance. And uh, and all that good stuff. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you start a political machinations game moving around, <laughs> you shouldn't always be, you know, captured, tortured and murdered. I mean, that's just not doesn't happen, especially not in the open, for God's sakes. That's not going to go down because, so, again, if they're not subtly done, then everyone knows who did it. So then what happens? That's not the point. Christian pointed this out. So what happens when you get a, play, a player group that's of uh, different factions, right? They're on different sides. See, so... Now we can take the geopolitical piece but and, fi- and bring it down to the individual, right? Because just because maybe I live in a particular country doesn't mean I see the same – I don't share the same political views or maybe I'm on a particular side or maybe I don't agree with my country at all. Like then it's – you know, it's like once in a politics campaign, which is going to be hard to get around some player characters – or players' minds, is that not everybody you come across in an opposing government are going to be baddies. Will there be distrust? Oh, absolutely. Will there be distrust? Eh, mm-hmm. maybe. 
Is it going to be warranted? I did. I don't know. In the one of my Outland game, my Outlander games of Avalon, I took everybody way the hell outside the city. They had a big dwarven settlement that they helped this in this small nation of dwarves who just freed themselves from slavery and captivity. They were reestablishing Thorbrandor. They're working their way through it. After they got it kind of set, they had the dwarven elders are there. Like, great. The players were thinking, this is perfect. We've got everything set. It breaks out into like five groups or three groups. As people start to figure it out, this group of dwarven elders are like, no, we are insular. We will never deal with the outside world again. Shut the fucking doors. We're done. Other people are like, no, what we have to do is go down below, find the ancient dwarven, you know, forges, relight them. So we will bring the rest of our people. And the, another group was like, fuck all that. What we need to do is not follow the old ways in any way, shape or form. We need to go outside these doors and get all the non-dwarven people to help support us because we're going to starve to death. We don't have enough food. Right. And in the meantime, the players are then trying to figure out which one of these people has the best idea. So the players are arguing back and forth. Well, I understand all their points. All the points were very robustly given. Everyone thought, hey, any one of these ideas could be good. And then someone tries to murder somebody. Okay, who did that? All oh, the dwarven council starts screaming, you did this, you did this, Iron Beard, you did that, core, you know, core crusher, whomever. They start yelling and screaming, trying to figure out which one of them is the bad guy. Who's in cahoots with this bad group? So just trying to sort that out in a very small scale was was kind of cool. But you're right, because at that point, I had players that were on different sides of just the Dwarven concepts. No, they should shut the doors. No, they should actually go outside of it. Actually, what they should do is go, is go below and find the ancient Dwarven forges. I had people who were set with all three of those ideas. And they argued it out back and forth and back and forth amongst the players, just trying to figure out which side they should throw in with because they want to continue to help these people. Here's the deal. If you want to run a political campaign, one of the things that you can do to get this kicked off and really make it just go nutso is have a main power, a main force, a main individual, main bad person, whatever that is. And have them completely and utterly motivated by greed and money. And then what happens is you have them want to start a war because their money is made off the war. However you want to position it, whether it be weapons, whether it be food, whether it be just plain re whatever resource you want to tie to it and have them bullets manipulate. Ban bullets, bandages, and beans. Which yeah. one are you? Manipulate the shit out of everything. And frankly, he, he or she or it doesn't necessarily have to take a side. They just want to make sure that they're profiteering off of both sides if they can. Because, hey, why do just one side? Let have both sides. Like, fun both. Because then you got double the income coming in. And if you can do that, you can manipulate the scenes, then you can just kick that off, have players involved, trying to figure stuff out, when all in all it's this person in the background that's really manipulating the snot out of everything. So when the powers that be, maybe it's the player characters want peace or they facilitate peace or some third party wants to, and those players are associated with that third party, or maybe they're trying to conduct it somehow, whatever side they're on, maybe it comes to an end. Well, hey, me, the warmonger, no, 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 that peace is bad news. That's bad for business. So then you want to like, usurp and then you want to make it look like other people do it and then you're just like you just have the player characters chasing their tails for a while that was the 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 uh basically the, the premise of the robert downey jr um game of shadows the sherlock holmes movie the second one 
that he did with Jude Law against Moriarty. Moriarty basically got all the military secrets and stuff he could and was selling to all sides because that's just profit. It was just in it for the money. <clears throat> money control and the fact that he could. Any number of movies or plots are out there that are about that, and I love it because there's, a, there's an interesting component because simple greed is incredibly powerful. And a lot of times characters or players, I should say, and characters and players themselves will discount simple greed as a viable reason why something's happening, especially if you set it up right. No, they're all going after the halflings. It must be some sort of a pogrom. They're purging the halflings. The halflings have to go. They see them as inferior, blah, blah, blah. It has nothing to do with it. The halflings are sitting on a gold mine. I mean, literally a gold mine. There's veins of gold in the hills. The halflings don't know about gotta it. Get rid of them. But this guy does. Gotta, get, ri- gotta get rid of them. Too. Yeah, gotta get yes, rid of them. Gotta go. Yeah. Get rid well, of those. way to do that. Pesty halflings. Get them out of the way. There's, there's gold in them hills. Exactly. Oh, there's all kinds of crap you could. Oh, and you don't want to let anybody know about that because then another nation's going to be like, whoa, we're going to deal with those halflings and then they're going to move in. So I think what we're doing here is we're just underscoring the, the initial point, right? It, this is a great way to kick off a campaign. It's a great way to kick off a storyline, an adventure, whatever. What's what's the reason behind the thing? What's the political reason that the X is happening? Why should you go and clean out this dungeon at all? Why would you do that? Well, by doing that, does X, Y, and Z are the immediate ramp, are the immediate fallouts from that thing happening? And therefore... Lord, Lord and Lady so-and-so get everything they want and everything moves on. Um, you can end up <laughs> cleaning out dungeon after dungeon for the king only to find out that the king is a money-grubbing fucker and he's been sending you around to do this stuff um, for his own political gains or reasons. I mean, there's there's all sorts of ideas behind that. So there's cool stuff there. I think we beat that horse, man. I think we're good. All right. Let's get into die roll. Yeah. Die roll. A few points we want to bring to your attention. Give you some maybe gaming incentive, some links. Brett has a couple. I got a couple. couple. We we got some from listeners. Yeah. Go ahead, Brett. Yep, yep, yep. I've got, there is a a famed gate to hell in Turkey that apparently is continuing to expel deadly air. Link in the show notes. These types of things are fun. Even if you, I I think we've had a similar link before, or I've seen this out on the internet before, you know, fable gates to hell, different sections of the earth that, uh, people locally throughout time have seen as a gateway to hell. Um, having something like that show up, this just, it screams Dungeon Crawl Classics adventure to me. Like, oh yeah, that's the gateway to this horrible uh, uh, thing. And the next thing you know, a bunch of dumb zero level plebes are going to go funnel their way through that and see what the problem is. Um, the other one I had, and this is kind of a shout out to the mongrel because he lives in one of the most dangerous places on the planet. <laughs> um, a torrential downpour has resurrected an alien-like prehistoric shrimp in the Australian outback. It's this millions of these little crustaceans have been rehydrated by rain in normally arid desert areas. And um, (laughs) so they've got tons of these little funky looking, like three eyed shrimp crustacean looking things. Um, This just, and that one to me, that screamed like call Cthulhu or something along those lines in the Australian outback, you know, kind of roaming. What happens after this torrential downpour? What happens after this, obscenely heavy winter has has whatever happens um yeah that's fun instead all they have to do is like be like those little creatures in the uh what do i want to say uh wrath of khan right they just crawl in your ear and there you go right the old ones man it's just a matter of time dude 
just a matter of time. Over to you, Sean. Uh, so the D&D WotC team, they announced what cons they're going to this year. They did not list Gen Con. What? They mentioned Gary Con and Gamehole Con and a few others, but I don't believe in those, any of those links that they're mentioning being at uh, Gen Con. Now, I do think that there's going to be a, an organized play at Gen Con. I would be shocked that they didn't have a presence in that space, but maybe they're pulling just their display and all that other stuff. So maybe they're going to have the organized play team maybe there, but not Merle's. Yeah, and the Gary Con or- Origins, PAX. Game hole, of course. They go to the good ones. That's what I care about. They go to the ones I go to. That makes me feel good. Yeah. Well, we'll yeah. Uh, People with Monsters blog offers some DCC resources. I don't know why. I happen to come across a lot of DCC stuff. Um, and I think it's a good blog. It has some free character sheets and some other things that you can go to. Link in the show notes. Um, people with Monsters. I think it's like people with Monsters. What is that? Well, who's calling me? Is that you, Brett? No, it is not. Peoplewithmonsters.blogspot.com. Link in the show notes. Um, you know what? Speaking of uh, kind of a callback to my earlier uh, illusion, Jason Hobbs Hobbs pointed me towards this for a couple things in the past. So this is a, this is a pretty good little blog. I got somebody calling me. So it's ringing through the, the show and it's bothering the piss out of me. And I can't, I can't find out how to do it. Well, I don't hear it. So I'll keep going. So after Sean's done there, <laughs> we've got some listeners. Um, VC Young is actually posting up his Mutant Year Zero game info out there for for folks to see. I've got a link in the show notes. He posted out in our Google Plus uh, community. So uh, if you don't see it here, go out to Google Plus and you can find it. Uh, Another listener, Shane Freeman, uh, has a cool article about prophecies and RPGs. Shane pointed this out and went, damn, that's really cool. I have had a hard time using prophecy in my RPGs before, so I have not had a chance to dig into the article, but... uh, that's one of those things that is kind of like uh, mm-hmm. politics and so forth. You need to you need to practice with it a little bit to make it work. There's work a little little, there. little railroad behind prophecy. There can be right, <laughs> so you've got to be careful, right? I mean, you could get your conductor hat on and drive people right to the end of that prophecy. Oh yeah, look at that! You what? are the chosen one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's see here. You put the next ones in here, so you read this one. I did. MD, Michael Drescher. He pointed this out. He's uh, in the chat room, and he mentioned, uh, he let let us know about the Age of Runark, or Runark. Uh, It's a Fantasy Age podcast, and um, it's an actual play of Fantasy Age, soon to be open legend. Uh, They're a great podcast, and I guess they they shout out to us on occasion uh, as a great source of knowledge. So- I, well, did, hell. I thought I had them in my podcatcher. I mean, their their show is not completely foreign to me, and it's probably a listener of the show, and they're probably running that game and having an actual play. So first of all, thanks so much for doing that. Secondly, I got to put them in my podcatcher. It's Runark. It's pronounced Runark. Thanks, Michael. Um, yeah, so I, I got to put them in there. I got to admit, I'm not a big actual play listener, but I will definitely give those guys a, 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 a try. Absolutely. Oh, hell yeah. I I did not know about it, and by God, I'm going to give them a listen. Very cool. Yeah. That's it. For, one, we oh, had one for oh. Brad Tucker. Oh, we missed Brad's? I miss, You missed Brad, so lay it on me. Oh, did I put that in there? You did. Uh, yes. So Brad emailed us. Uh, he's got a creation he's doing. Wanted to make sure he sent, the, sent it our way. So 
He says it's introducing the Monarch players, which is a completely free, interactive, literary experience. Monarch Papers. Did I say, hey, Monarch, did I say that? Monarch Papers? You said Monarch Players. It's Papers. Papers. Monarch Papers. I can't read. Part novel, part game. You are missing piece. You're, you're the missing piece in a puzzle that's remained unsolved for a thousand years. So are you prepared to follow the trail the Mountaineers have left for you? Are you ready to find your secret guild and join the brave, the helpful, the chaotic, uh, the resourceful, the clever, the determined? Are you ready to see what awaits for you inside the magic guide? That website, I'm on the website right now. That looks pretty, that looks super sexy. I'm going to say it there. That looks good. Very nice. Yes. Very I'll tell nice. you, man, our listeners give us some really cool stuff. Uh, the men and women listen to us, man. They've got some really good tastes. Despite the fact that they, despite the fact that they listen to us, they're still they're uh, they're still pretty good. <laughs> uh, I want to thank uh, Knight Errant Jr. for the review on iTunes. Thank you so much for leaving that. We appreciate it. Absolutely, reviews are reviews are sweet because I know for myself when I go out to grab a show or whatever, I do I check out the good, the, the you know, hey, how many how many five stars, how many zeros, you know, who likes what, who hates what. Sometimes you take it with a grain of salt, especially the negatives. You get somebody who says, I don't like, you know, Brett's voice. Okay. You know, you don't like my voice. What are you going to do? Um, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's really, uh, it's really cool that anybody takes the time to put that much effort into <laughs> giving us a review, even if it's just a couple sentences. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, that's probably the big thing is like, I got to log on. I got to remember to do it. And then I want to, you know, elaborate on why it may be good or bad. Uh, and it's usually through iTunes if it's iTunes. So yeah, it's kind of a pain in the ass, but thanks so much for doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, next week, Brad, what are we going to talk about next week? I think I want to talk about wilderness encounters. I was just out in the woods uh, earlier today with my son. We were tearing down some tree stands that I had up that, um, just didn't get around to getting out earlier. And, uh, just the challenges of going out in this, uh, kind of late January, damn near early spring, like thaw I had, I was going through and, um, my son, obviously he's my boy looks at me and goes, boy, this would make for a really rotten adventure. Wouldn't it dad? <laughs> Cause there's just mud and ice and cold water. And well, like, yeah, this would be, this would be pretty miserable. January, and, um, January 22nd, 2006, yes. 17 is when we're recording this. I ran in shorts today. Yeah, it, it was warm out. Yeah, I, I was in the woods and it was wet and rainy and just ice and like I said, water up to my calves and the creek we had to I had to cross and stuff. But <clears throat> excuse me, it was it was warm, warmer than I had expected. Still damp and chill, but still pretty freaking warm. If this keeps up, man, we're gonna be riding motorcycles in March, which will be freaky. Down to Gary Can. <laughs> that would be that'd be something if we could pull that off i would but it's always it anyway. still always does get pretty cool even in march yes, it does. it's like oh man it's 50 even is like nah, 40 no my birthday's early april and i use and i've had snow on my birthday more times than i more times than not so we'll yeah, see, what see happens. we're talking about the weather again <clears throat> exactly but hey it's all about the wilderness next time we're talking about wilderness encounters and uh messing around with those so Stay tuned. We'll see what we can do. Excellent. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We appreciate it. Thanks for writing in. Die rolls. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. See, kisses for everybody. That's the, <laughs> way, I, that's the way I roll, man. It's 2017, dude. Hey, why not? What? Why not, man? I'm saving my sexuality, damn it. Of course. I kiss Brett all the time. He gets all nervous, though. He gets all flushed. It's true. He does. It's true. He does. He does. <laughs> 
does. Uh, all right. The, for Gaming MBS, <laughs> damn it, I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. Episodes like these are provided to you with the help from the following patrons. Christian Sexy Voice Serrano, Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fans, Jeff Rodemacher, Forrester Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Bruce Cunnington, Eric Jeppesen, Andy Hall, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Chris Steele, Knights of the Night Crew, Palladian, Jason Blaylock, Remy Bellideau, Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Mike Mirko Froilich, Wayne Lumhunter Humphleet, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Saka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony the Butcher Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, The Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Braslett, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, and the Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you can support the show for an entire month. Consider visiting GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks to all the patrons. We appreciate it. This This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.